Thank you for joining in once again with the Staying Healthy Radio Show. My name is Jeff Burke, and I'm your host. Tonight, I've got a special guest with me tonight. One of my favorite guests is going to be here. I think that you're going to really, really enjoy this. You've heard Mark Kaler with me before, and tonight we're going to be talking about a bunch of little things. I think it's going to be one of those... Um, shows that you pick up a lot of little points along the way that may just be answering some of the questions you've been having about your own health. Mark's life took a sharp and unexpected turn in the middle of working on his Ph.D. in sociology. As it happens with many of us, a part-time job in a health food store awakened dramatic lifestyle changes and a passion for holistic health and healing. From this point on, he began exploring in depth, as he still does today, a diverse array of health practices, traditions from around the world, from a Cherokee reservation to the Amazonian rainforest to mountains in China. Ensuring a pursuit for alopecia, Pathic alternatives or symptomatic relief, Mark has been in pursuit of radiant health, both in his own life and his practice, viewing health and healing as a lifelong process or a path rather than an end goal. While maintaining a private practice, Mark lectures internationally on holistic healing, on the journey to radiant health while consulting in the natural products industry as an educator and formulator. If you were lucky enough to hear his show with us a couple weeks ago, we spoke about medicinal mushrooms. Mark has been on with us many times talking about green foods and chia seeds and so many different topics. So tonight we're going to talk about... Maybe some of the truths and maybe some of the question and answers about radiant good health, maybe something about cleansing, maybe some diet tips that might make a, you know, things go a little bit easier. We'll just see where it goes. Good evening, Mark. It's great to be back. Thank you very much. I know it's Friday evening, and I, I'm glad that you took time out of your schedule. This should be fun. Oh, always my pleasure. Where do you want to start tonight? Because there's so many different ways to go. I think, you know, as a nation, we're just kind of falling apart. So there's, we can throw a stone in any direction and talk about right. something that would be beneficial. Well, you know, the, the first thing I guess I'd like to comment on your intro a little bit, how we're going to talk about a bunch of little things. I really want to add that they may be little, but they'll be very impactful. So, you know, it's the whole idea that I guess good things come in small packages, I think very much will ring true for uh, hopefully some of the topics and things we're going to talk about. But I don't know. I guess a good place to start off would be maybe some of our favorite health tips just to get people started in a general sense. Let's do that. I like it. You you, you, you lead. I'll follow right behind. All right. Well, my first one, and uh, probably in many ways the most obvious and I, I think probably the most impactful, but also probably one of the, the more difficult for most of us, uh, is something uh, that in many ways is simple but also very difficult, and that is lowering stress levels. Oh, yes. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt that stress is a major contributor to disease in our culture from anything from, you know, the common cold, the short little acute things, to the very serious life-threatening chronic diseases from cancer to Alzheimer's and a number of other imbalances. So the importance, you know, we can't under, you know, overplay the importance of how essential it is to maintaining our health and achieving radiant health uh, in lowering our, our stress levels. And the number one tip I have for that really is not a matter of taking a supplement or anything else. It's a matter of perspective. And Hans Selye, who is kind of the godfather of, of stress in our, in our country, uh, he's the first person actually to use that term, I think, as it applies to stress in our lives. You know, previous to that, it was always engineering stress, stress on a buttress or a joint or something like that. And he was the first person really to start using it widely as far as it relates to our body and he said there's no such thing as stressful situations, only stressful reactions. Hmm. And the amazing message and gift there, I think, for our healing is that stress is something in many ways that is self-induced. It's a matter of how we choose to look at things. Are we going to look at it in a positive sense or are we going to look at it in a negative sense? You know, is this an opportunity to 
changes, you know, like with a diagnosis, you know, okay, I've been diagnosed with this disease. It's a wake-up call for me. Now I can use it positively. I can go about making the changes I need them in life. Do I sit there and say, oh, you know, woe is me, life is terrible, I'm just going to die or wither and stuff like that. So how we look at it, how we choose to frame it, how we choose to, you know, orient ourselves to it really makes the biggest impact as far as stress levels go. Well, you know, I think that the problem is, is, is one of the main things, I stand back and I take a look at stress in our lives. And, you know, we have it coming from many different angles. And I really think that we do create most of our own stress by the topics and the, you know, the things we choose and the choices we make and the friends we have and the relationships we're in and the jobs we pick and the way that we do our things we do every single day. And I think that being in unhealthy situations really adds to our stress, but yet some of us still want to address the stress and we still will complain about the stress and we'll still band-aid over the stress, but some of us, it's really hard to actually make those big decisions that get you out of the melting pot of stress. Sure. No, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, one of the simple things I encourage my clients to do is that you start the day and end the day in a very positively affirming manner, mm-hmm. you know, because focus is such a key element in how stressful you're going to be. And the example I always use is, and this is certainly true in Las Vegas, as I found on my last visit there, traffic can be horrendous. <laughs> and there are days you're sitting in the traffic and you're just banging your steering wheel and maybe using a four, few four-letter words and, you know, you're just stress levels out of whack and your blood pressure is raising and you're just having a miserable time. And yet, you know, another day, it may be the exact same traffic conditions. For whatever reasons, you're in a good mood. You're focusing on things a little differently. And you just kick back, turn on the music, and sing, and just enjoy that time. So the circumstances are exactly the same, but our focus and our orientation is different. So starting the day with here are the good things in my life brings that focus to the positive. And ending the day, you know, the last thing we think about before we go to bed, think about the positive things in our life, the good things that happened that day. And if it's a really bad day, you know, maybe the the only things you can come up with is, you know, I had a really good lunch today or I made it home safely. I mean, you know, it can be something really simple or it can be other things that happy that my family loves me and all these other wonderful things. But just that focus on those positiveness can have a dramatic impact on the stress levels and start, again, gradually reorienting us over time. Well, you know, it is true, you know, and we do all have a tendency to have stress. And I want everybody to know that it's okay to be stressed out once in a while. I mean, sooner or later, you're going to have a day that's a day from hell, and it's going to be everything you can possibly think of is going to go wrong that day. And, you know, and it is going to be a day that you think like you're never, ever going to get done with that day because everything... Absolutely. You know, of course. And I'm saying, but, you know, we all do have them. And, you know, when they're happening a little bit closer together, then maybe it's time to kind of take a look at, you know, what you're doing to maybe create it or what's creating it and pulling you in or what you're volunteering to become stressed out about. But it's true, you know, turning things around and having a little bit more of a positive attitude really can make a difference. And, you know, and a lot of people will say, you know, but it's hard to have a positive attitude when everything's going wrong. It's true. And I think that's why so many people will succumb to, you know, antidepressant medicines and anti-anxiety medications and kind of numb it down a little bit because they have that hard time, you know, turning things into a, you know, a glass half full rather than a glass half empty. Oh, absolutely. There is no doubt that, you know, the stress is an inevitable element of our lives. It's going to hit us one time or another. But I think the key in dealing with that is not to become overly attached to it. It's to recognize, okay, this is a stressful moment. You know, I'll get through it. We'll work through it. 
it's going to change. Tomorrow's going, the sun's going to come up and things may be different. There are steps I can do to work on whatever the situation may be. So don't grab onto it too tightly. The other key element is to find outlets. You know, play. You know, far too often adults stop playing. You know, it's one of the sad things I think that we have in our culture as we grow up. But unless you have kids, oftentimes you stop playing yourself. So, True. you know, find things that you enjoy. You know, even if it's go play some hopscotch, you know, whatever it is that you enjoyed as a kid, you know, there's a good chance you may still enjoy it as an adult. And then there are some herbal remedies that are really useful to help kind of manage that stress, help the body balance and deal with, you know, the consequences of that stress. And that's a class of herbs that are called adaptogens. And simply put, adaptogens are herbs that help you adapt. They help you adapt to the stresses and strains and changes in life. So things like Siberian ginseng, American ginseng, schizandra, rhodiola, gynostemma. These are wonderful herbs for kind of balancing all that kind of stresses and strains and nourishing the body and kind of undoing some of that damage that, that, that happens as we certainly stress out over a long period of time. I call them teeter-totter herbs. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that. Well, the reason I do is because of the fact that so many of us really do need to focus a little bit more on the basic foundation of things. And I think one of the best ways of doing that is try to, somewhere along the line, find some balance. Yeah, absolutely. The, the key word really is balance. Far too often we have a tendency in our culture really not to pay attention to things until you know things start to break down. And I think we're really missing the boat there. It's much better and a lot easier to deal with things before they happen, certainly as it relates to health conditions. Paying attention prevention, making sure the body is balanced and nourished, a uh, huge element in this, in this mix. Do you feel that no matter what we're trying to do as far as our health, that we actually need to address one issue at a time? Or do you think you can benefit a lot of issues in your body at one time? With See, I don't want people to be overwhelmed. And, you know, people will say, well, I'm trying to take care of my cholesterol, my blood pressure, my thyroid, my diabetes. I'm trying to lose weight, quit smoking, get a better night's sleep, deal with my boss, and be a happier person. You know, it's kind of hard to kind of deal with so many things at one time. I, I like the idea of just getting back to basics and feeding and nourishing the body. And as the body becomes more balanced and less malnutritioned, things kind of fall into place. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. In general, I think that's the best way to go. If you take care of the basics, you lower your stress levels, you do some other simple changes in your life, you start eating better, you start exercising a little more, you know, these things will make it possible for you to start adding things in, a, you know, at a later period of time. And again, when I work with clients, I only give them a handful of things to start with, and then I see them the next month. We see how it's going. If everything is smooth and integrated, then we start adding on to it, mm-hmm. you know, adjust accordingly. But you know, it really depends on what's going on with the person in their own lives. Now, obviously, if there's a crisis that's, that's prevalent, you know, if that blood pressure is so high that it's life-threatening, that needs to be the focus, and that may require some you know, very sincere and dedicated efforts to bring down, because these are sometimes life-threatening conditions. You know, the other night I was doing um, a topic, and I was talking a little bit more, because I'm really trying to get people familiar with medicinal mushrooms, because you and I are starting to kind of really create an interest here. And when you're dealing with balance and stress, could you, just real quickly, I know I'm taking you totally off kilter here, but could you, between reishi, mataki, and cordyceps and lion's mane, which of the four would be the best for somebody that's under huge amounts of stress with high levels of cortisol? Okay, so that was reishi, cordyceps, lion's mane. What was the other one? Maitake. Maitake. Yeah, um, in general, I, I think the number one stress mushroom and, and certainly one of the top two or three stress herbs around for us is the reishi mushroom. Okay. Uh, it brings balance to the body on every level for the heart, the lung, the liver, central nervous system, the brain. 
you know, you name it, it impacts virtually every system, and it's all about balance. It's all about bringing that, that nourishing element to the, to the table. And it also seems to kind of round out the sharp edges that we oftentimes carry too much in our lives and things. It's great for keeping the immune system up, which stress is going to suppress. And in Chinese medicine, reishi is said to be very useful for calming and nourishing the shen. And the shen is the emotional center of the body. It's that element of us that when we get really upset that starts to get that tightness we feel in our chest oftentimes. It's what we're talking about when someone says we have a broken heart. We're not talking about, you know, the organ of the heart. We're talking about that energetic center. So Reishi brings that in a very holistic manner, that balancing, nourishing action, supporting the immune system, and bringing all these systems into level, and then minimizing the damage that, that is associated with these high stress levels, particularly things like with cortisol and other stress hormones. So that would be my, my number one choice for most people. Now, if the person is so stressed out that you know, they've just gone off the end, that they're depleted, run down, they can't get out of bed in the morning, then I think you need to go to cordyceps. You need to bring some of that young fire back to life, that drive, the dynamism, and I think that's what cordyceps is particularly effective and excellent for. Okay, that that kind of where I was thinking too. So, you know, I want people to learn a little bit more about this. And I know that we we talk more, we'll talk more about medicinal mushrooms and, you know, people can learn about them because it's it's really kind of a new topic for many people because a lot of people are still with the basic, you know, the foundation nutrients and other parts of the world, you know, they've been using medicinal mushrooms for centuries. So, we're learning and we're trying to learn more. It's ironic that these are new to us because these are yeah. some of humankind's oldest medicines. And these are also some of the best research medicines that are out there. So it's good to see that we're finally waking up to the potential healing power of these wonderful remedies. Okay, now let's segue a little bit into a topic that I love, which is cleansing. And I we were talking this morning a little about it as well, how we... We have cleansing in every single part of our life. We have cleansing. I mean, we do it every day. We, we detoxify and we cleanse every day, but we're doing it with mostly the things around us. We clean our clothes. We clean the house. We vacuum the floor. We wash the laundry. You know, we clean the car, some people. Uh, we brush our teeth. We do all the things that are involved, cleaning, dishes, you know, dusting, everything every day. We're constantly doing some kind of a cleansing or a detoxifying. But when it comes to our body, we, we don't think about it until we get a bowel impaction or we find out that the body has toxemia or we're so run down with impurities or you're getting chronic yeast infections or something along the way that's causing your body just to be completely out of sort. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the foundations of cleansing. Sure. And you make a really good point there that we, we really focus on cleansing in our daily lives and our daily activity. Yet cleansing as it relates to the body, as it relates to our physiology is something that Many of us don't think about a lot until it's a problem, and some of us in the natural products industry will think about it in the spring, we'll do a cleansing program, and in the fall, we'll do a cleansing program. But the question I always ask people is, when are you toxic? When are you dealing with or bombarded with these toxic chemicals? And the answer to that question is every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, I just saw reports today where they did a study on some sort of whales. I think it was sperm whales in very remote parts of the planet, and they're finding that they are actually finding lots of heavy metal toxicity in their fat tissues. Hmm. So even in the remotest parts of the planet, you know, with whales, we're finding that there's heavy metal toxicity. So what about those of us, those who are listening in Las Vegas, who are breathing in that polluted air that, you know, doesn't flow through and all that car traffic, 
those things were breathing on a daily basis. Or myself, who was in the New York City area, all the traffic and all the pollution and all the industry that's here, bringing that toxicity in our lives on a daily basis. And then you compound it with, you know, these catastrophes, such as what's going on in the Gulf now, where they're burning massive amounts of this oil to burn it off so it doesn't hit, hit, hit the make land, but all that stuff gets burned and, and ascended in the air. And they've now done studies as far away as, like, Southern California, where they're finding toxic residue in the air from the burning off of the oil in the, the Gulf. So we're breathing in some of these heavy metals as a result of that burning. So the reality is we're confronting with these things on a daily basis. We really need to think of cleansing as a part of that daily health protocol for us, I think. You know, so when people start cleansing, you know, I think the biggest thing that they have, Mark, in their mind is the misconception that they are going to be glued or ball and chained to their toilet. And, right. you know, but with the new ways that products work and the new cleansing products that are available, you can set them, tailor them, and escalate your dosage according to the way your body responds to it. So you're able to do your day-to-day operations and your, your normal things that you do. It's just that you're giving your body benefit while it's in the process. And certainly there are a lot of things we can, we can add to the, to the mix of things food-wise, but it's important to remember that cleansing is not just about bowel cleansing. That's really such a small part of it. We want to cleanse all the tissues in our body, the lymph, the fatty tissues, the liver, the kidneys, all the areas where these toxins can store in our body. We want to get those released. We want to get them pulled out of the body, neutralized, and passed out of the system. So bowel cleansing is just a small part of it. We need to do things like take alternatives, uh, which are blood cleansing herbs, you know, things like red clover, dandelion. And those things are really easy to take because they make wonderful teas. Just mix them up, brew them up as a tea, take them with green tea because green tea is a great detoxicant, it's a detoxifier. It stimulates the liver and helps the liver basically break down some of these toxins that we're dealing with. And then there are lots of foods that are very helpful. Certainly a high-fiber diet is wonderful. We've talked about chia seeds. I'm a huge chia seed fan. It's an easy way to get a really nutrient-dense fiber into the diet. It's roughly one-third protein, uh, one-third fatty acids, and one-third fiber. So it has all these nutrients in it. So it cleanses as well as nutritionally supportive to the body. And then simple foods like fruits and vegetables are amazing regular daily cleansers. You know, an apple is a very cleansing food to eat. If you want even stronger cleansers, things like beets, celery, melons are very good for cleansing. Artichokes are great cleansers. So some of these cleansers are really good tasting, fun to eat, and they can support the body in the, the cleansing process. And, you know, as people may know, I'm a big fan of mushrooms. Shiitake is a wonderful herb for that because it stimulates the liver and protects the liver. And we were just talking about reishi as it's kind of bringing balance to the body, but I consider reishi a tonic cleanser because it stimulates the body's natural detoxification processes. It protects the body from those toxins while it's doing that detoxification process, and it does this kind of in that supportive, balancing way over a long period of time. Do you feel that anybody can cleanse? Well, the reality is we are all cleansing. Every time you exhale, Mm -hmm. technically you're cleansing. Your pores are cleansing constantly throughout the day. But as far as doing a more intensive cleansing program, yeah, I I do think some people need to be careful with it. If you're dealing with uh, certainly an acute condition, you might want to be really careful about it because if you're suffering from a severe cold or flu or infection of some sort, doing a cleanse at that time may actually increase the strength of that whatever it is you're confronting. Or it may even weaken the body so the body is then weakened and then you know the infection or the, the microbe or whatever can take over even more. And certainly with people who are chronically ill uh, and very depleted and run down and deficient, 
I think it's probably more important for those individuals to spend some time building themselves up, nourishing, supporting, building some chi and some life force before they go into a cleansing program. But as far as incorporating some of these foods on a regular basis, you know, by all means, but doing an intensive cleansing program, you want to be fairly, fairly hardy before you go into a too intense program, I think. Okay. You know, I think that there's a lot of things that I, I try to recommend for people to, to kind of all tie in together. And the reason that I try to tie them in together is because sometimes when people are starting a new diet program, and I'm sure, or a new way of eating or a new way of choices, you'll know that a lot of times they don't get the benefit unless they're tying cleansing in with it because there's such a messed up shell of the body. Their system is out of balance. They're very toxic. And, you know, some people have a tendency to go onto a new diet program and, you know, they feel terrible and they're not feeling any better. And most people say, you know, I've given up all these things and I feel just as bad as I did before. And I said, but you didn't clean house before you started. And all of that stuff is still in your system. So, you may not be digesting, you may not be assimilating, and there's still a lot of waste that's leaving the building before you start appreciating all the new choices that you're making. Right, and with a new healthy diet, too, often may be a stimulating of that cleansing process, too. So what you may be feeling as well is all these toxins being released and your body not being able to get rid of them fast enough. So there, you know, there are different elements of it. And that's why, you know, like with most of these changes, for most of us, it's best to do these things in a gradual manner, mm-hmm. introduce them into the body gradually so that your system can get used to it. It's not overly taxing on your lifestyle nor on your physiology. So step by step, I think is the best way to go. Okay. Now, do you think that when somebody starts a diet, see, I think whatever you decide to do for a dieting program and you're ready to make the change and you're ready to start doing something different, you'll probably be successful with your diet. It's the after effects that I talked about this morning that a lot of people have problem with, which is the follow-up and the maintenance and the not sliding back into the old habits. Sure. And this gets back to what we were talking about with stress to some degree, too. And I've seen this in my own practice when I work with people. I'll give some people the basic program. Here are the changes we want to make, and sometimes even in life situations. And some people embrace the changes, and they, you know, they, they incorporate them in their lives. It's no problem. I see them the next month, and they say, oh, yeah, you know, everything's going great. I have no problem doing my juice or my blending or whatever. I'm eating the right foods. I'm starting to walk first thing in the morning, whatever the changes may be. And yet other people will come back, and it's just, oh, it's not working for me. I'm having a hard time. I keep cheating. You know, I keep sneak, sneaking the Snickers bar. I'm still drinking my sodas or smoking, whatever it may be. And, and I think the key in this process is, again, where you focus. And there's a tendency, you know, oftentimes when we make some of these changes is to focus on the things that we can't have, the things we can't do, instead of focusing on the things that we can. So, you know, focus on those healthy foods that you really enjoy and really like. I mean, I'm a watermelon fanatic. I just love watermelon. So, you know, that's a really easy thing for me to focus on when I'm trying to do a cleansing program because I love watermelon, I enjoy it, and I can eat tons and tons of it, and it's cleansing for me, rather than focusing on the fact that, oh, you know, now I can't have any dairy, now i got to cut back my wheat. Bring that focus on the positive elements and try to embrace it in that more positive manner. And generally when you do that, the changes happen, I, I think, a little more smoothly and without some of the frictions and strains that often comes with it. 
Hmm. Well, you know, I, I think the hard part about it is most people have a tendency to live within their comfort zone. And I think you probably see this with your patients as well. I think one of the biggest, hardest problem for most people is to either, number one, admit that what they're doing is not healthy or realize it or be willing to change it, even though we do complain about it all the time and we're living the ramifications of our lifestyle. But on top of that, be able to change it and comfortably stay out of that way of living because it's so easy to slide right back into it. Because I know most people will say at the end of every day, you know what? I'm not doing the fast food tomorrow. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to la- slam the caffeine. I'm, I'm not going to do the junk food. I'm not going to hit the vending machine. But, you know, a little stress, and before you know it, they're right back into it because the body's like on auto. Sure. And, you know, there are a couple points there. One is try to surround yourself with people who are making these positive steps and efforts, too, rather than kind of surrounding yourself with the naysayers saying, oh, don't do that. It's a waste. Why bother? Those types of things. And again, you use that example there. You're talking about not, 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 not. Try to reorient that focus to what you can do, what you can do. And then the, other, the last point really is that when you fall off the wagon, okay, I fell off the wagon. You know, I went out. I had pizza. It's not a problem. I can move forward from that. The problem arises when we do something, we go out for lunch, and we binge on soda and pizza. Then we get really mad at ourselves, and because we're mad at ourselves, we punish ourselves more, maybe with some, some ice cream this time around. And then, then you get the blood sugar swing the next morning, and then it's donuts and coffee to get yourself back up. And, you know, it starts this whole cycle rather than saying, okay, I had the pizza, I cheated a little bit, I fell off the wagon a little bit, I'll just move forward with this process. So, again, don't grab hold of it. Just make the steps effort. Don't, don't beat yourself up about it. That can make a big difference in the process. Mark, I'd like to talk about something that I think is really important because, you know, I I think that every single thing that we have wrong with us, every different layer and level of disease and inflammation and health problem, everything that we're using medication for, everything that we're doing to our body, all of it is inflammatory based. And I just want to get your kind of point of view about natural ways to reduce inflammation. The nice thing about it is here we have something that's very common, very inexpensive, very accessible and that's the, the common herb or spice called turmeric. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the bright orange spice that's found in curry. You can get it in curries. You can get a jar of it as a spice. There are a number of very concentrated products on the market, so there's lots of turmeric available. And to me, that's one of the best anti-inflammatory products we have available, if not the best, because it works on the inflammation in a, in a targeted local fashion, so you can use it for sprained ankles, knees, joints, those types of things. And it works very systemically, and there are numerous studies showing it having benefits for these types of systemic uh, inflammatory conditions. As you mentioned, inflammation is a major part of virtually every disease. Cardiovascular disease would be one of those. It's the inflammation that may be the compounding factor that's causing the buildup of the atherosclerosis in the the arteries and things. And turmeric's been shown to help prevent that and reverse that process. The inflammation is a very key element in, in Alzheimer's and a variety of other central nervous system disorders. And turmeric's been shown to be very useful in, in preventing and possibly even treating some of these very serious brain disorders. Even something as simple as a flu virus comes with a certain amount of inflammation in the system as the body reacts to these microbes. And there are studies that were shown that turmeric may be useful in preventing or treating some of the serious flus that we've had, like H1N1, swine flu, those types of things, over the last few years. So we have this really readily available common spice that has these wonderful benefits for inflammation systemically and targetedly. And maybe even more importantly is they've done some population studies where they find that, that in communities where they consume 
roughly two to three grams of it a day, which is about half a teaspoon of it, which is not a lot, that they have much lower instances of virtually every chronic disease, you know, heart disease, cholesterol problems, cancer, you name it. So here we have a real simple, easy, affordable natural spice or herb that can be very useful for this inflammation and other things. Well, you know, turmeric is, was one of those things that is used all over the world as a spice. And once again, how long has it been used as a spice and for inflammation and for circulation and for pain and discomfort? And isn't it amazing that we are always like the last person to find out about everything? There are records, uh, medical books in India dating back probably over 4,000 years where they elucidate on the, all these great benefits of the turmeric herb and spice. What's nice is Western medicine is finally looking at it and exploring it in a scientific fashion. So for those of us who like that double-blind clinical-type study, we're getting lots of, of confirmation of these benefits. But these are things that we've known literally for thousands of years, which are now being confirmed in numerous studies all around the world. And I just would encourage anybody to, to look up turmeric on, on Medline, which is a scientific research center online, Look under turmeric or even the Latin name curcumin, curcumin longa, and look at the, the huge array of research that's on it. And tell me, if that doesn't sell you on it, I, I don't know what is. So, Can you use turmeric in your cooking and your seasoning as well as using it as a supplement? Sure, absolutely. And that's one of the nice things about it. The substances that are in turmeric are pretty stable. So as long as you're not heating it to 800 degrees for five hours, it's going to be fine, and there may be some benefits to actually taking it in food form over supplement form because there are certain constituents in turmeric uh, which are fat-soluble, so it helps to take it with some fats that may be found in our foods. Yeah, by all means, eat as much of it as you want. Okay. Now, are there other things that you can do besides turmeric for inflammation? Because we, we, we talk a lot about omega-3 fatty acids, and, you know, we want to bring down our inflammatory state. And I've been trying to kind of get it across, the point across, that the more inflammatory uh, levels that we bring down in our body, the more we can free up our body to actually concentrate on the cause of most of our problems. Sure. Uh, well, there are a number of things we can do. You mentioned, you know, getting our omega-3s up. The flip side of that is we need to get our, omega, our omega-6s omega down. It's really all about balance. It's not really about just omega-3s. It's about having those omega-3s and omega-6s in the proper balance. And that would be probably a 2-to-1 to a 3-to-1 as far as omega-6 to omega-3s. So that can have a big impact in the process. Getting rid of the inflammatory foods, which would be foods that are fried, hydrogenated oils, Heating uh, foods at very high temperatures, particularly red meat, if it's cooked and charred, that can create uh, a lot of the conditions for pro-inflammation in the system. There's a remedy called pycnogenol, which is an extract from pine bark that I'm a huge fan. And this is another natural remedy that, while newer than turmeric, has a huge body of research behind it for its benefits for being anti-inflammatory, particularly systemically in the cardiovascular system, also useful in the joints. You mentioned how inflammation, again, is related to lots of diseases. Inflammation is a very important element in allergies, and I know that's a big problem in, in Las Vegas. And pycnogenol has been shown to be useful in preventing some of the symptoms that are associated with allergies in the long term, not just taking it when you have the allergy problems. So pycnogenol would be another one of my favorites. 
And then there's another herb from India called Boswellia, mm -hmm. uh, which works really well with turmeric, which is a great anti-inflammatory, a COX-2 inhibitor, and readily available in a you know, number of supplements out there, pretty heavily tested as well for these anti-inflammatory properties. So those are kind of my favorites in the mix. But the key is to, to reduce the cause of the inflammation, whatever that may be. And this gets back to the stress element. The consequences of being stressed chronically are inflammation. It will cause inflammation throughout the body, particularly the cardiovascular system and in certain organ parties, uh, parts of the body as well as in the brain. So if you can lower those stress levels, that will also lower inflammation, certainly over the long term. What do you think is... Um is one of the biggest problems we're having out there with health right now. I mean, we're seeing a lot of epidemic cardiovascular diseases, and we're seeing a lot of inflammation. We're seeing a lot of blood pressure and thyroid problems. I think something at hand that we really do need to address, and I think we can address it directly with reduction of inflammation and, and just completely just taking a different route with what we're eating, is the, the effects of diabetes into the younger population. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the statistics for diabetes Ugh. really just scare the heck out of me. Mm -hmm. I think it's been estimated, I'm not exactly sure on what the year it is, but I think it's been estimated by the year 2040 or 2050 that the cost of treating diabetes in this country will be as large or larger than the GMP. Uh, you know, so this literally has the potential to break the physical bank of the country let alone the huge consequences of it. We talked, you know, we've talked before about how it's hitting younger and younger individuals. Adult onset diabetes is no longer adult onset diabetes. Kids are coming down with it with greater frequency now. So this is a problem that then, you know, even the diabetes itself, while they may manage it, causes other problems down the line. There may be organ failures. It may contribute to inflammation. There are lots of associations when you start looking at these things, uh, particularly when you start talking about you know, developing a, a disease or an imbalance very early in life when it would normally be something that you would develop, you know, in later years. So your body has to deal with it for much longer, which can come with some pretty severe consequences. Then you add into the mix that, you know, you are medicating yourself, oftentimes with numerous drugs, uh, which comes at a certain cost and a certain consequence as far as the side effects go, the liver toxicity and other concerns, and then that just compounds the whole mix. So being attentive to this is a very important element of it. And this gets to what we started talking about, you know, most important health tips. My second most important health tip, actually, after lowering stress, is starting to do weight resistance exercise. And you may not think that's necessarily all that relevant when it relates to blood sugar and insulin conditions, but it is in a number of ways. It can raise your metabolic rate, which means you're burning more calories, so you're less likely to gain the weight. And the other thing that's really important about it is a muscle that's been trained through lifting and it doesn't have to be a really elaborate gym process. You can go out and lift pots in your garden. You can pick up your kid and throw them up in the air and catch them and stuff. You know, however you want to kind of work out the muscles in your body. Uh, what they have found is that muscles that are exercised and trained actually are much more responsive to insulin. So the body doesn't need to secrete as much insulin so you don't get the consequences of the pancreas being overworked or depleted and the consequences of having too much insulin running through our systems, which again gets back to the inflammation. Too much insulin is pro-inflammatory. Isn't it amazing, though, that when we were growing up, it was always type 2 diabetes and it was something that always affected the older individuals in our family and, and now it's not even called type 2 anymore. It's not even called geriatric. It's just plain old diabetes and I, I was talking to a lady two weeks ago, and her 16-year-old son was diagnosed with type 2, not type 1, type 2 diabetes. And I asked about his, about his lifestyle, and she said he's very overweight. And I said, how much? She goes, 400 pounds. 
And he's got high blood pressure. He's got serum, high cholesterol. Um, Everything is high, all of his levels, and he's already injecting insulin. And and I thought to myself, this is something that I never thought that we'd see. Yeah, the the consequences of injecting insulin over many, many decades, Mm -mm -mm. it's very, very difficult for the body to deal with that. And again, it really would, you know, benefit this person to, to, while they're paying attention to lowering blood sugar and exercising, as you mentioned, the importance here in reducing inflammation in the body is really, really key. And, you know, it's not just happening with diabetes. More and more diseases that we associate with aging are creeping down lower and lower. We're seeing Alzheimer's start to occur at earlier and early levels, uh, even as early now as something like 40 years old. So, you know, these conditions that we used to associate with being old, we're basically aging ourselves so rapidly in our younger years that, you know, it's bringing those diseases with them. But isn't it amazing, though, that they still say we're living longer, but they, they fail to tell us that we're being band-aided and held together by pharmaceutical medicine, and we're preserving ourselves from the inside with the chemicals, preservatives, and the steroids in the food. Yeah, and I would raise the question is, what is the quality of oh, living longer? You absolutely. Know, you have to be on seven or eight medications, all of which have some symptomatic side effect to them. What is the quality of that life? Are you alert? Are you active? Are you able to do all the things that you want to do? Or are you just kind of managing to keep yourself out of the grave type thing? It's not a matter of just living longer. It's improving that quality of life. And as you were talking about before with diabetes, how big an impact it's actually having and this obesity pandemic that's going on, some people are estimating that this generation now may be the first generation that will not live longer than the previous generation, primarily because obesity has become such an issue for it. You know, Mark, some things that we we haven't talked really a lot about, but I'm seeing um, so many different things that people are are having problems with. I'm getting emails, and of course, the radio show is heard in a lot of different places. So sometimes I kind of compile letters and you know from different parts of the country, and the same complaints are everywhere in this country. And I know you've traveled the country as well, and it's just kind of amazing that if I, I get them from the East Coast, from the Northwest, from the Southeast, and from the middle parts of the country, and everybody's dealing with the same things: obesity cholesterol, triglycerides, blood pressure, blood sugar, you know, impotence, uh, low libido, hormonal problems. It's the same thing everywhere, and it's, it's no different. It's just right across the board all across America. And what's amazing about that list you, you just laid out there is that, to me, those are all what I would call lifestyle imbalances. And it all gets back to, you know, making the changes, making the adjustments and how we go about living our day-to-day, and if need be, incorporating the supplements to support that process. But these, the things you talked about are fundamentally about lifestyle. And it's mostly diet, too. Yeah, well, I consider <laughs> diet is, is the lifestyle choice. You know, what we choose to eat, how we choose to eat, where we choose to eat, you know, what foods we pick. These are all lifestyle choices that we make. We can make the lifestyle choice to jump in the car with the kids and, and run down to the fast food place and fill them full of Happy Meals and sodas and that <laughs> type of thing. Or we can make the lifestyle choice to, to cook a meal, be at home, sit at the table, talk, share, and exchange. And these are all really lifestyle choices I think that we need to incorporate with you know, who we are, how we live. Do you, do you feel that, that processed food and junk food and fast food is addictive? And there are numerous studies now that are mm-hmm. starting to confirm that. I do. And, and what's really amazing is they've actually gone in and done, you know, these really sophisticated brain tests and measurements 
where they actually will take an individual and they'll plug them into all these devices and they'll map their brain while they do a variety of things. They will map their brain while they're doing cocaine or some other mind-bending pharmaceuticals. And they'll also map their brain while they sit down and have fried burger with french fries and soda or fake milkshake and things. And lo and behold, what they find out is it's almost the exact same level of activity and changes and and the focus of where the energy and the blood and everything is going in the brain in both those circumstances. So there's absolutely no doubt uh, that these foods alone, I think, have a very similar action to a lot of these mind-bending drugs do it. And then, you know, you start looking at the additives that are in there. We can certainly start a whole big, huge debate about this, but a lot of the food additives that are in these foods are in there not because they make the food better or healthier. They're in there to make you addicted to the food. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that the tobacco industry has done for years. When you smoke a cigarette, you're not just getting tobacco. You're getting tobacco laced with all sorts of other drugs, other chemicals and things. And we do the same thing with our foods. We, we lace it with foods. They're going to stimulate our appetite even more. They're going to get us to want to eat these foods even more and more to create that ad- addictive quality to it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree 100%. And, you know, even the other part of the, you know, you had mentioned just briefly there, they say that when people are on pain meds for a long period of time, they actually do get to the level when the pain medication does not even work anymore. They would go with, through withdrawal getting off of it, <clears throat> but they're more actually hooked on the actual taking of the tablet. It's more psychological than anything because of the fact that it stopped working a long time ago. Sure, absolutely. There's no doubt with a lot of these substances, the body develops tolerance and you need to take more and more of it. Case in point is caffeine, one of the most common drugs that we use in our culture, whether it be coffee, tea, sodas, in in pills and sports drinks. Caffeine's everywhere. And this has been mapped out. We've studied it clinically. It's been tested. And if you use caffeine on a daily basis, your body stops responding to caffeine in that stimulatory fashion. So what you need to do is do what? You have to take more and more caffeine. So that nice little four-ounce cup of coffee that our parents used to drink now becomes, I don't drink coffee, so I don't know what the words are, giant grande, you know, whatever, (laughs) with three extra squirts of espresso or something in it uh, because we need that extra caffeine in order to get that boost from it. So the only way caffeine works for people is if you use it once in a while. If you use it all the time, You lose the benefits, you disturb the adrenals and other elements of the endocrine system, and you create more problems. It's interesting how at our own hands, with our own fork, we create most of our own problems. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's what inter- what's interesting to me is people will say, you know what, I really do want to make these changes, but I have such a hard time giving these things up. And, I mean, I'll do a consultation and I'll chat with someone and they'll find out that they've got cardiovascular disease or they've got high cholesterol. And, and I say, well, you know, you're going to have to make some drastic changes. And they're like, oh, no problem, no problem at all. And you start going through the diet and you start talking about the supplements and you start talking about what they can't do anymore. And as soon as that can't do comes into the, into the mix, it just it just turns everything around and and they will actually tell me I can't do that. I can't do that. I have to have my food, my drink, my beverage, my drug of choice with my fork. You made a really good point, you know, with our own hands and our own fork. I mean, really what we're we're doing with these lifestyle choices and with these dietary choices, we're we're kind of committing kind of long-term chronic suicide to some degree. We're we're literally killing ourselves, we're poisoning ourselves. So this is something that it's hard to get across to people. Everybody's different. You've got to find that trigger that affects people. I mean, I've had clients who, because I work a lot with late-stage cancer patients, 
who come to me, they've been diagnosed with uh, late-stage cancer. They've been given six months to live. Uh, it's a lung cancer that's metastasized to other parts of the body, and yet they smoke a cigarette before they come into office to see me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and how we get people to make those changes is about trying to find what motivates that person. At the same time, I've learned you need to allow people to make those choices for themselves, and if that's the path they want to travel, you support them in that process. But the, the key, again, is trying to find what, what works and triggers for you. And, you know, some people are good. You know, they're the absolutists. You know, they're the obsessive personality. Give them 50 things, and they go in and change their lives dramatically. Other people, you give them more than two or three things, and they're overwhelmed by it. So you give them, you know, one thing you know, every few weeks or something. And what I actually used to do was a lecture program where we did a year-long program and every month I would give people two or three things to just incorporate in their diet. So it could be something as simple as get a little more sleep, go out for that morning walk, uh, have a salad with your dinner, and you just start incorporating these things in a very gradual fashion. And what happens is at the end of the year of this time, you've gradually incorporated these changes and adjustments into your life without any sort of harsh, forceful effort, and you've profoundly impacted your life, your health. You know, and I've learned over the years also that, you know, People are going to be motivated to do something when and only when and only they're ready. And if they're not ready, it's not going to happen. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's fine. I respect that. It's just kind of like smoking and drinking and exercising and, you know, bad diet and everything. If you're not motivated or something has not sparked your motivation, you're not going to do it. And you know what? When it comes to things like bad vices, like drinking and smoking and stuff, that's a personal choice. Sure. And everybody has the availability and the right to be able to do what they want, and it's really nobody's business. But if you're reaching out for help, there's a lot of things that are available. And, you know, going into good stores like Stay Healthy, they can help you nutritionally, but you got to be ready. So, you know, I, I just think it comes down to everybody being ready to make a change when they're ready, when it's on their terms, and hopefully they're going to search out the best people for the best information available. Sure, and this gets really to the heart of the matter, which is fundamentally what is the purpose and nature of disease. And in in many ways, I believe that the the, the nature or role of disease in our lives is it's a communication, it's a message to us. And these messages start off in our lives as very gentle messages for the vast majority of us. You know, they start off with that little tap on our back saying, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, and most of us, you know, what do we do? You know, get away from me, brush it off, we don't pay attention to it, we'll take something to suppress it, or we'll we'll focus on something else. And the next time that voice comes up, it has to tap a little harder and a little harder and a little harder, and if we keep suppressing that voice, eventually what happens is it pulls out the frying pan, whops us upside of the head, and now we've got this dramatic diagnosis with something life-threatening or life-impacting that is going to force us to make those changes. But again, even in those situations, some people refuse to make those changes. So embrace whatever path I guess you choose to do, and at least do it. Get the joy out of it is the key. Mark Kaler, thanks for being with me tonight, and thank you for all your great information. You have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, Jeff. I appreciate it. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.